Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Got a lot of love to navigate around up here today. That's fantastic. That's good. You know, it was a special treat uh, last week to have a new rain with us to uh, serve as our praise team, but I think it's an even more special treat today because <laughs> I just love our, our praise team, uh, and so many of you are involved in that ministry, and it's such a big deal. I mean, it really is such a big deal, and we are blessed here to have folks who are just especially talented, uh, not only musically, but just in the spirit they bring to us, and our our worship is enhanced so much uh, and led really in some ways by, uh, by what they do. And actually next Sunday, they're going to have kind of an expanded role uh, and you'll want to be here for that. And uh, we'll do some, some kind of special things. Did, were you aware of that, by the way? I don't know if you guys know that. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Abby knows, so uh, she'll, she'll plan it out. So, um, well, this morning in uh, Jeremiah, we're going to... Uh, Spend some time, do we, uh, in just a moment maybe, we're going to spend some time uh, hearing what Jeremiah has to say about uh, some things I think are very relevant for today. And the context for what we're doing today is uh, what is known as the Temple Sermon. Um, and it's in Jeremiah chapter 7. And I'm actually, I'm going to do this old school. I'm going to turn over there uh, and read it. Um, uh, and the reason it's called the temple sermon is because Jeremiah was told to go and stand outside the temple and, um, and, and share this message with God. So in Jeremiah chapter 7, in verse 1, Jeremiah says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. And so this would be kind of like me, uh, me coming and uh, meeting you as you're coming in. If we can, there we go. Uh, me kind of meeting you as you're coming in the door and preaching the sermon then. Uh, it would have to be a lot shorter <laughs> because it's kind of hot out there, uh, and it might not uh, be especially fun because if it's in the spirit of Jeremiah, usually it's going to be you know pretty challenging. So, so that's what uh, God told Jeremiah to do. And so he goes, and here's the message God wants Jeremiah to give. O Judah, listen to the message of the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. So this is important uh, in how he's, how he's presenting this. Here's the message. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. And that's a little bit surprising based upon what we've seen in Jeremiah up to this point. Because we have heard God say, I'm just, I'm giving up on these people. Um, he's going to send a remnant off to Babylon, but, but the, as far as the nation as a whole, God's telling Jeremiah, don't even pray for these people anymore. The Babylonians are on their way. Judgment is about to be executed. Um, and even he said, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me and plead for these people, it wouldn't matter. God got, you know, the, the end has come. The time of reckoning is, was upon them. But even then, God's mercy is so great. He says, saying all of that and knowing what I know, uh, about you, God says, it's not too late. If you'll just quit your evil ways, you can stay here. You won't go off to Babylon. And here's what that would look like, though. 
It says, first of all, don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here, and he'll go on and elaborate on that a little bit later on um, in this chapter. Um, you know, the idea, this might be their version of, well, we belong to a church, or maybe even we belong to the right church. And it is that membership that we're kind of counting on for us to have a right relationship with God. You know, the, God's temple is right here among us. We're God's chosen people. And so they just chant that over and over again, even though it, 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 you know, it, was, it was noise they were making, but that was really about it. So don't, don't be fooled by those, Jeremiah says. Instead, here's what he wants to see. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil deeds and start treating each other with justice, only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows, only if you stop your murdering, and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. That was the key. That's what was going to happen. That was what was bothering God the most about what they were doing. Well, from the temple... God then tells Jeremiah, I want you to go give a very similar message in chapter 22 to the king. Jehoiakim was the king at that time. And so in chapter 22, another message. This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. And a lot of exclamation points. This is this is really bothering God a lot, what's going on. <clears throat> and then, I don't know where this audience with, with the king took place, but then God tells Jeremiah to go to the, to the palace. And I think in doing that, he, he wants kind of a, a visual aid. He wants to be able to point at, at uh, the message next that was pertaining to the palace. And so, a little bit later in chapter 22, the Lord says, What sorrow awaits Jehoiakim, the king, who builds his palace with forced labor. And so he's standing right in front of the palace as he's saying this. He builds this palace with forced labor. He builds injustice into its walls, for he makes his neighbors work for nothing. He does not pay them for their labor. He says, I will build a magnificent palace with huge rooms and many windows. I will panel it throughout with fragrant cedar and paint it a lovely red, which in that time would have been impressive. <laughs> Maybe not so much now, but uh, he's going to make this place really, really stand out. But Jeremiah, God says through Jeremiah, but a beautiful cedar palace does not make a great king. Your father, Josiah, also had plenty to eat and drink, but he was just and right in all his dealings. That is why God blessed him. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? But you, you have eyes only for greed and dishonesty. You murder the innocent, oppress the poor, and reign ruthlessly. And that's just a message that will come up many, many times in the book of Jeremiah. I'm struck by a couple of phrases in this passage. One we just read back up in, in the verse prior to this, when he's talking about uh, Josiah, that we may have time to talk about at some point in this series. And Josiah uh, was a good king. And he, he tried to do what God wanted. And so in reference to him, uh, God said, isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord. Jo Josiah was one who was known for taking care of the poor and defending the cause of the widows and the orphans and, and those who were marginalized. And in reference to that, 
God says, isn't that what it means to know me? You know, the, the phrase that we sometimes use to describe those who are without some of the basics of life is that they are less fortunate, less fortunate. And I think that's a good way to kind of describe that, that, uh, that situation. Um, they, are, they are less fortunate. For any number of reasons, fortune just doesn't seem to smile on some people like it does on others. Maybe it has to do with where they were born and when they were born and what they were born with, but, but there are some people uh, for whom fortune has just not smiled as much as it has on other people. And whereas our world tends to devalue those on whom fortune has not smiled, in God's economy, which more often than not is the opposite, it mirrors our own uh, world, they are actually held in high regard. You don't have to read the Bible very much at all to see that those who are less fortunate are the ones from God's perspective who are held in high regard. And I think the reason for that is God has always had a special place in his heart for the less fortunate. And from the very beginning of the, the, the biblical story, you see, you see that concern. You see God making provision for foreigners and, and aliens who, you know, who were passing through the land and they would leave certain amounts of, of food on their, on their crops that those people could eat. And it was a, a, a really a, a virtuous thing to give alms, to give alms to the poor. And there are so many passages like this, but Psalm 82 verse 3 is just one of hundreds of examples where the psalmist says, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. And then the, the same message continues on into the New Testament. As you see, that's, that's who Jesus kind of hung out with. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, John said, If anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can the love of God be in that person? How can the love of God be in someone who sees a brother or sister in need but doesn't do anything about it? And I think the context there is kind of pointing a little bit more directly at other Christians, but I think the principle is really much broader than that. Love for God has always been demonstrated by how we treat other people, especially those who are less fortunate. God is the champion of the, the poor and those who are less fortunate. So it no, comes as no surprise that those who are connected with God are going to reflect that same concern uh, and are also going to, to, uh, to be, be involved in making a difference in their lives. But what we were seeing in Jeremiah's day was people had lost that. They, they, they did not have that concern. And the reason they didn't have that concern is they were not in sync with God's heart. It was showing up in their worship. It was showing up in worshiping other gods. And it was showing up in how they treated those less fortunate. Whereas those people should have found refuge and help in the people of, of Judah. Instead, they were finding oppression. They were being kicked while they were down. And so treatment of the poor and treatment of the oppressed showed that they just they didn't have the heart of God. God says, isn't, isn't that what it means to know me to show that kind of concern? They weren't showing that kind of concern, <clears throat> excuse me, because they simply didn't know him. So that, that 
really catches my eye. That's what it means to know God. But there's another passage that also catches my eye that's a little, little bit disturbing. You know, I, I read this passage and, um, and, and some of these things in the Bible, and I feel okay. And I think, I think we're allowed to do that. <laughs> I think we're allowed to read the Bible sometimes and feel okay that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of aligning my life with this, and that's good. And so I read some of the things on this list, and, you know, I don't feel like I'm oppressing anyone. Uh, I haven't murdered anyone in a while, you know. Um, I, I'm not uh, getting a forced labor, you know, to, to do things I want. My kids have already graduated, so I don't, I don't have forced labor anymore. You know, and I, I just I feel pretty good about that. But then there was the first part of verse 16. I read the second part. Is this not what it means to know God? The first part says that, talking about Josiah, he defended the cause of the poor and needy. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. Um, and you come across that same language in other places in Jeremiah. And what that suggests to me is that it's not enough for me to just avoid mistreating people uh, and taking advantage of the poor and needy. And, and uh, you know, it's not enough just to not do the bad thing. But what God really wants is for us to be a little bit more proactive than that. Um, and for us to, to begin to really um, involve ourselves in matters that really it's kind of easy for us to avoid. And I know about that. It's very easy for me to avoid some of these things. We, we may have a very broad range of response to some of the social issues of our day, whether it's poverty uh, or it's uh, racism or it's immigration, uh, you know, it's just the, the plight of children, uh, the plight of other nations. We, you know, we have a broad range of responses. Some, some people would kind of blame those folks and you know, it's your fault that, that you're in this, this condition and the other end of that would be doing something to help. But I, I think the one response we can't have is to ignore it. And that's what I really will tell you. I'll be honest here. I, I have been prone to do that, to just ignore it. Not completely, but um, to, you know, my, my feeling is, well, what really matters is a relationship with Jesus. And that's what we want to help people do. We're more concerned about eternity. And that's true. But there, the Bible is just so full of making an impact right now, doing something right now, doing something that reflects that, that we know God. And, and so I think just ignoring the problem because we're concerned with more spiritual things just isn't a legitimate response. And so I want to I suggest a, a couple of levels in which, uh, in which we might respond to all of this. What we're reading in Jeremiah about this concern for those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized, here are a couple of things that I'll suggest we might be able to do. And the first one is give. Give to the poor. Um, that's, you just, from Genesis to the maps, you hear the Bible telling us that we need to be giving to the poor. And I don't think, for me personally, that means that I you know, give a couple of bucks to somebody at an intersection who's got a sign. Because I, this is my feeling, you may feel different, but I just feel like that's not really helping them. That, that's not the best use of those couple of bucks. There are other things I can do, but, but okay, I'm not going to do that. What am I going to do? How, how am I going to give? And I, 
I think the best way is specifically through the church. I think giving through the church is really one of the best ways that we can make an impact on those who are poor. Um, the church has a bad name for many people for a lot of reasons. But this is something that Christianity as a whole does well. Christianity as a whole, we don't turn our backs on those who are less fortunate. And you think of just, you know, in all of Christendom, how many hospitals have been built and orphanages have been built and ministries that, that reach out to people and supply food and clothing and housing and everything that's needed. Christians do this well. Um, and I, I think it's unfortunate that, that we kind of have the bad reputation we have many times when this is something really, really good that we are doing. You know, several times in my life when I was uh, preaching full-time, there'd be somebody coming along, you know, driving through who would stop at our church building because they needed help. Uh, they needed gas. You know, they were, they were going, traveling home or to see someone, whatever, and they, they, they needed help to do that, to get home. And, uh, and I, I've kind of always had the position, and I'm sure a lot of you do as well, that, you know, if I'm going to make a mistake here, uh, I would rather help somebody who might be taking advantage of me than to refuse help to someone that I ought to help. Um, and I still want to be discerning as best I can and might, you know, check some uh, background and things like that. But I just, I feel like more often than not, I, I need to do something here. And I have had several conversations with people like that where I, I have told them, whenever you get home, you find a church. You, you find a church and you, you connect with that church. And I would say because I guarantee you that if, if one of our members was in the same condition that you're in right now, we would do something about it. We would get them home. If, if any, and I feel the same way about anybody in this church. If you're out traveling somewhere, you're on your way to, you know, to Dallas or whatever, and your car breaks down and you call the church, we're going to get you home. Uh, we, you know, we may send wire some money to, you know, to get the car fixed or to buy gas, or we might send you a bus ticket so you can get home. We might get in the car and go get you, but we're going to get you home. And I said that's. This is where you'll find the kind of care that you're looking for right now. You'll find it in a church. And I really was concerned about a greater need <laughs> that they have, maybe for, for a relationship with God, but that might be the means by which they find God. And I, and I knew that wherever they lived, I could, I could put that message out there, and they would find a church that would welcome them in. And, and that's just what churches do, and, and we're really pretty good at that, I think, and there's always more we can do, and I, I think this church does this very well. You know, we've said, and you ought to stop on your way out today and look at the little lower left-hand corner of this mural out here. We, we've said that, you know, we're, we're going to live love. That's, that's what this church is about, and one of the ways that we do that is by living open-handedly. We, we live open-handedly, and I love that uh, at the blessing at the end of the service, many times we'll hear that because of what this church is doing and living open-handedly, we've been able to help someone. And I, I just think that's that's such a good thing. And good grief, don't we have evidence of, 
around me this morning of that of that very thing that we're concerned about the poor and we we want to we want to give and so you know every time you you sign that check and you put it in the box or you push submit on your app you're you're doing this because some of the money that we give goes to help those locally and those in other places who are less fortunate and so if you're not giving to the church, well, this might be a good reason to start doing that. And if not to the church, well, how else are you going to do it? Maybe there's some agency, some organization you're a part of, but whatever you're doing, um, because this is so important to God, and this is what it means to know God, to help those who are less fortunate, then find some way to do that. And, and giving uh, financially to help the poor, I think, is a, is a very good way. And, and doing that is one of the ways that we reflect the heart of God. So I want to encourage that. Give, give to the poor. But there's something else I, I want to add to that that I think goes a little bit deeper, a little bit more of a, of a personal level. And the second suggestion I would make is this, that we forge relationships with the less fortunate. We want to give and help financially, but we also want to forge relationships with those who are less fortunate. Now, I'm not talking about taking someone on as a project. I'm talking about befriending someone uh, and, and just, just being open to that, that maybe here's someone God has put in my life and, and I'm open to being friends with that. And, and I think here's something really uh, important and can be a good gauge in helping us know how we're doing this. Here's, here's a question. Are there people less fortunate than you who would consider you to be a good friend? Are there people who are below your socioeconomic, educational background who if, you know, oh, you, you know so-and-so, you know Tim, and I, I know Tim, would, would that person consider Tim to be a friend? Or just someone that maybe has helped them at, at some point in their lives? Would, would they actually consider me to be a friend? Um, or do I just pretty much hang out with people who are like me? And I get that. I get that there's a certain, you know, the kind of principle of homogeneity that we're drawn to people with whom we have a lot in common, and that might be true economically and socially and educationally, and I, I get that, but as believers in Jesus, we can't be limited to that. We, we just can't. Um, as people who share in the heart of God, we need to have people in our lives uh, that, that are different from us. Um, rather than just, just being projects. And I, I think that's an important question to ask, uh, especially in light of something Jesus said in Matthew 25. And I'll just read this to you. Um, he says that when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me, Jesus, a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And these righteous ones will reply, 
We don't remember that, you know. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then he does it from a negative perspective as well about those who weren't doing those sorts of things. And they were among those who were considered to be the, the goats, uh, those who were lost. And this, this context is one of the criteria for the final judgment. Now, uh, you know, I, I believe in grace, but Jesus believed in grace too, and yet he still said this. And I don't know how you reconcile all that. We'll just leave that to him. But, but from what you've got in Matthew 25, a consideration for the judgment scene, as Jesus was describing it, were those who helped those less fortunate and those who didn't. Man, that really kind of inspires me to, all right, I'm going to get out a pencil and paper and I'm going to start making a list. <laughs> you know, who are those people? Who are those who have been sick that I have visited? Who are those who uh, didn't have food and I helped provide food for? Who are those who were sick and in prison and I ministered to them? And again, I kind of point back to that's one of the things we do as a church. But I want a more personal level than that. And here's why I, I think that. Why, why I don't want to just kind of give money to, to some uh, you know, program that will do that. In this series, we are concerned about living life at its best. That's, that's what we're trying to do through Jeremiah. We want to run with the horses. We don't want to just kind of muddle along with mediocrities because of all the challenges of life. We want to overcome those, and we want to run with the horses. We want to live life at its very best. And I think this is a factor. And here's, here's why I would say that. I think God wants us to show compassion for the less fortunate for our sake as much as he does for theirs. So all this talk about helping other people and doing something for them, really, I'm talking about us. I think God does this for our sake as much as he does for theirs. I think it will bless our lives more than you can imagine if we, if we change from ignoring the needs of those who are less fortunate or just giving money to actually involving ourselves in someone's life. I think that will change us in some ways that we'll really like. We'll really like. We'll like this reshaping that God will do by helping us do that. When I was a student, a freshman at the University of Kentucky, um, there was a, a, a man by the name of Azaga. He was from Nigeria, and he had come to the University of Kentucky to study uh, uh, engineering. And he actually was a little bit older, probably in his you know, 30s or so, had a wife and kids that he left behind so he could come get an education. And someone in our campus ministry, we kind of came in touch with him. He was very lonely. He was eating in the cafe by himself. And someone went and sat by him and got to talking and just formed a connection. And Azaga eventually became a Christian. And what he wanted to do after he finished his degree was go back and tell other people in his community about Jesus. I mean, it's just a great, great story. But I remember very early on, and actually I think maybe before Azaga became a Christian, where we somehow we heard that he was on a scholarship from the government of Nigeria, 
and his none of his money had come yet, which kind of happens a lot um, dealing with different different countries. And so he was he was just about out of money uh, and was really having a hard time. And he was on a you know, plan where he would pay you know to eat in the cafeteria. And so someone heard about it and told the elders of our church about it. And they wrote him a check. I think it was something like $75. And I just happened to be available. And so they, they gave it to me to give to Azaga. And so I went to his dorm room and, uh, and went in and, kind of, and told him what we were doing and showed him that check. And he just began to weep. And he reached into his pocket and he laid some change on his bed. And he said, this, this is all I have left. This is all I have right now. And, and he, he said, you pray. So I, I can't, I don't know how. You, you pray. And so we got on our knees in his dorm room and we thanked God for this church and the difference it was making in Azaga's life and that God would take care of him going, moving forward. And I know that was a factor in Azaga eventually becoming a Christian. But the other person in the room, me, I walked away from that with, and I still have goosebumps on my arms as I tell this, because I walked away feeling like I had a front row seat to watch a sacred moment between God and one of his children who didn't really know him just yet. It was a sacred moment. And I just got to witness it just by being the, you know, the guy who was, who was handing off the check. Um, and that impacted me. And, and I never really had paid much attention to that sort of thing before. I was 18 years old. I didn't you know, think much about it. But then I began to realize what, what God was doing through me by being in a position to, to help. And again, not me directly, but just the one who handed over the check. It was a sacred moment. And here I am some you know, 50 plus years later, and I'm still impacted by that. And it still has shaped who I am. I said earlier that the biggest problem of the people of Jeremiah's day is their hearts didn't reflect God. I think this is a proving ground for us. I really think it is. I think that how we respond to the less fortunate is an opportunity for us to show we get it. We, we get it. We understand what God is doing in this world. We understand his heart, and we want to be a part of that. And so... If you want to live life at its best, sharing God's concern for the less fortunate, sharing in God's heart for the less fortunate, I think is another key. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your concern for us and how far you were willing to go to, to bring us home. Uh, and we know there are so many people who are just hurting in this world and all sorts of reasons behind that. And we wish those reasons will go away. But until they do, pray that you'll just use us uh, as we participate in your heart, that you'll use us to be your instruments um, in bettering their lives. Uh, and just help us, Father, to find ways to help and help us find ways to connect. And we want to do that because we want to reflect your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.